You're listening to the Winbuild Send Podcast, a podcast focused on evangelism, discipleship, and multiplication. I'm your host, Gabriel Menchaca. Thanks for listening. Play this record as frequently as possible. Now, most Muslims will never speak about that, and they'll never even recognize it, but it's part of their teaching from day one. Okay, they just assume it's going to happen. Yeah. They assume that, that there's a superiority to the Islamic faith and that one day the entire world will be Muslim. Okay, good afternoon, uh, everybody. This is uh, Gabriel Menchaca, and I'm here with a very special guest. Uh, his name is David. And uh, just maybe say hi and introduce as much as you can about yourself. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Uh, well, I am David, uh, and uh, I live in uh, Frankfurt, Germany. Uh, have a, uh, a few small businesses that I run uh, on a global level. And Frankfurt's just a good place to run those businesses from. Yeah. Very international city. And yeah. Good airport going in now. Yeah. So I'm able to, uh, yeah, to do uh, everything I need to do from here. This is a very good place to, to launch off from. And so do you speak German? Um, yeah, I speak German pretty well. Do you speak any other languages? Um, Yes, I do, actually. (laughs) A number of them? (laughs) Yeah, I I speak Russian quite well. Okay. Uh, I speak uh, Uzbek and uh, Turkish. I can speak uh, Kazakh and Kyrgyz uh, (laughs) and uh, Japanese. And uh, I don't speak Spanish. Ah, (laughs) poquito (laughs) Spanish. But uh, no, I I can get around in uh, a lot of different languages probably get myself killed with close to 10. And so uh, the reason I have Dave on is because I've seen in action some discipleship and I just wanted him to really share about uh, maybe some of his uh, history and, and coming into uh, working with some of the people he's working with. Um, let's start with uh, how did you become a Christian? Like, like what happened where you, you, you came to know who Jesus is? Yeah, actually uh, I came, uh, came to know Christ uh, the last month of my uh, undergraduate years at the University of Tennessee. I had been married for about nine months, and I just started noticing something in my wife's life that uh, I didn't see in my life. There was just a, a power, there was a vitality there that was very organic, it was very natural. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I decided that I would start spending maybe some more time uh, reading my Bible and praying, because I was just had a discomfort, just sort of a inside. Uh, and then one morning I was reading the scriptures and I came across a passage that says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, but you don't do the things that I say? Mm-hmm. And I remember just feeling uh, this uh, incredible feeling of, uh, of, of oddness. I, don't, I can't even describe what it was, but I remember just, just whipping the pages over just to move to something else. <laughs> and uh, the very next verse I laid my eyes on, Jesus said, not everybody who calls me Lord is going to enter the kingdom of heaven. Mm. And I heard the Holy Spirit say, that would be you. I got on my knees and I just told the Lord, I said, I'm, I'm sorry for all the games that I've played with you. Mm. And I want you to do whatever it takes to make me yours. Mm. Um, got off my knees that morning, a changed man. I mean, my whole life changed. Uh, and I have a wife of 38 years who will testify that uh, everything changed that day. And uh, since that day, I have, uh, you know, I've just sought to walk with him. Mm-hmm. I've just sought to, to live my life for him. 
and uh, it's been a, been a great life. And then so so then uh, what about what about your military? Like like um, did you did you do any active tours or? I did. Uh, I uh, when I was a, a young uh, a young cavalry officer, uh, we ran uh, several uh, drug interdictive missions uh, back in the in the eighties. And then uh, actually got out and was out for 17 years uh, when uh, Uncle Sam tapped me on the shoulder and said, uh, uh, by the way, we want you to come back in and serve your country one more time. Wow. So <laughs> at 50 years old, I was running combat missions across northern Iraq wow. uh, between Tikrit and Mosul, okay. uh, commanding a cavalry unit. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, those are one of those things you don't really think about that you're going to have to do when you're 50. Yeah, you know? yeah. And so, uh, but I was a lot older. I was a much better commander at 50 than I was at 25. Okay. I can assure you that. <laughs> but I found how to work smarter, not harder. What about, what about faith during those times? Like, how did, did that play a role? Like, did you, were you able to share the gospel, um, you know, with some of the men or? Um, I did. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, working with a bunch of young cavalrymen from, uh, from Tennessee, um, it was interesting because uh, we had lots of spiritual conversations. Okay. But yet most of them really felt like they were already Christians. Okay, okay. But whenever their conversation starts going towards, yeah, but you know, Muslims have their way, and Buddhists have their way, and Christians have their way, and you begin to realize very quickly that this is not the type of faith that is a biblical faith. Right. Um, and when I began to sort of, uh, it was a very actually a lonely time in the second half of my, my last tour because... Uh, when I began to espouse the fact that Christ was the only way and that there's no other name under heaven by which a man can be saved other than Jesus Christ really alienated me from a lot of people. Sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, think that, I think it does that, period. Gospel is divisive. <laughs> and I saw it, I saw it firsthand. Yeah. yeah. And so the, those experiences in any way, like when it comes to uh, evangelism, uh, what would you say to someone maybe active in, in the military right now um, when it comes to sharing the gospel like should they in, in women just be be as uh, blunt as they can or give people time I think it's important that people know where you stand mm-hmm. uh, one is, is uh, I've been a good officer being a good officer opens the doors uh, for being able to share truth yeah um, if they perceive you're a slacker and, and you know it, Unfortunately, a lot of the chaplains in the military, that's, that's a, a problem, is that they, they see them, they don't see them out there on patrols, mm-hmm. they don't see them out there taking the same risks that they're taking. Uh, but as a, as a unit commander, uh, I, I didn't send patrols out, I went, I went out with them, I took them out, uh, and um, I put myself in the same uh, line of fire that, that the soldiers were in. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you do that, then there's a certain respect that people have. Uh, and uh, also, there were numerous times I put myself in situations that um, this just demonstrated the fact that I really believed in what we were doing. Yeah. And so, uh, so yeah, I mean, I, I, there was quite a, a good, I, I felt like I had a good rapport uh, with soldiers. So it, that, that rapport and that, that testimony would give you a platform to, in a way, uh, have a voice. Correct. So it's important to have a good testimony. <laughs> and, you know, and, uh, and being physically fit uh, and being confident in your job uh, in the military world, uh, those speak louder than just about anything else you do. Okay. Why? Because soldiers' lives are on the line, and mm-hmm. they depend on the decisions that you make 
as an officer, and particularly as a combat arms officer. Uh, and uh, that's something that uh, you don't see a whole lot anymore. I, I don't meet that many Christian officers. Really? Yeah, I just don't. And I wonder what it is, uh, I mean, that uh, is keeping young Christian men from actually serving their country. Mm-hmm. Don't understand it. Um, because the last thing I want is, is I want somebody else to continue to preserve the freedoms uh, that I have. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, it's, it's costly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that Christians ought to, be, ought to be involved in it. Yeah, 100%. And um, so what about discipleship? Like, like in the areas, like my, my dad uh, was in the military. So there's some areas of discipleship and discipline that he, he implemented, not only, um, I think, in his personal life, but in his uh, spiritual walk. Uh, would, you, would you actually uh, speak into that in any way? Well, I think there's, there are some disciplines that mm-hmm. uh, um, I, I think that I've learned from the military. One is you got to get up early. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, there's always something else going on later on. And yeah. so you need to get up early. Uh, and I've just learned that if I'm going to have good quality time in the Word uh, and in prayer, um, i got to get up early. Mm-hmm. And so in order to do that, i got to go to bed at a reasonable hour. Mm-hmm. So those are two disciplines that I think are really, really important. Yeah. Um, I spend time with the Father every single day. Mm-hmm. Uh, because if I don't, the day doesn't go well. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's like getting up and eating breakfast. You know, If you don't uh, have a good breakfast, if you don't eat you know, healthy meals through the course of the day, you don't have the fuel right. uh, to do what you got to do. And uh, so I think that those are some disciplines you know, that, uh, that I've learned. you got to stay in shape. Yeah, I think if, uh, if uh, people who are listening that know me and know my dad, everything you're saying is like, yeah, that's his dad. So it's funny that you say that. Um, what about uh, the area of um, we, we in, our, in our network, in our fellowship, organization called Praise Chapel. We we church plant, we believe in multiplication, we believe in, in multiplication of ministry, whether that's churches or, or uh, musicians, uh, whatever whatever it is, what, uh, what areas do you see like that um, maybe coming from like the, the military background of discipline, do you see implementing into the, uh, multiplication? Like what's important in those factors? Yeah, probably the, the most uh, important thing is you got to keep it simple. Uh, I think that we as Americans particularly like to complicate stuff. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we like to make stuff a little jazzy. Because uh, if it's not simple, it's not going to reproduce. Yeah. And if it doesn't reproduce, don't do it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and that's that's just something that I live by. Mm-hmm. Um, we're, we're not interested in growing stuff. We're interested in reproducing things. Okay. Uh, and, you know, there's elements of growth that are always in that. But uh, I think that when you take a look at the Great Commission and you take a look at the... Uh, you know, the metaphors that Jesus used in Matthew, in Mark chapter 4, for instance, you know, about planting seeds and so on. It's, it's about planting seeds and growing your things, not just about making something bigger. 97% of churches in America will never start another church. Mm. You could you imagine if we, had a, if we had an epidemic in America, all of a sudden doctors all got together and said, 97% of the women in America are not going to be able to reproduce. Mm. Would we just like... We would just kind of like sort of say, oh, that's kind of, oh, that's too bad. No, we would invest literally the very best that we had. We would put our smartest minds, we would invest every dollar we could in fixing that problem. Yeah. Because the next generation is going to go away if we don't reproduce. That's what's happening in the church in America. Wow. Yeah. Churches that are not reproducing are going to go away. And we're going to see the body of Christ, you know, shrivel in, you know, in, our, in our country. It's grown leaps and bounds around the world. Uh, 
but uh, it's something that we need to take very, very seriously. And we've got to start making these things simpler. It, I, you're working with, with some guys that uh, were involved in is Islamic beliefs, uh, uh, Muslim uh, lifestyles. Um, aggressively, I've seen them, um, in a way, evangelize. As a matter of fact, just in our apartment, there's, there was a, a, a paper that someone put in our mailbox and it, was, it showed not only uh, um, uh, Quran uh, quotes and this and that, it showed me every mosque within like a five-mile radius of like where I can go. And the whole time we've been here, nothing Christian has come through our mailbox. Um, I was in a few other countries where Muslim men came up to me and were like wanting to talk about the Quran. Uh, I don't see Christians doing that as much in Europe. Um, what are your thoughts as far as the aggressiveness of Islamic beliefs. Well, I mean, it's it's been long understood that Islam is a is a, a missionary religion, mm-hmm. uh, in that it, it desires to uh, to carry its message to the ends of the earth. I mean, there's a huge meta Islamic meta narrative that uh, is as significant significant for them as the Christian meta narrative is that you know that that Jesus is going to come again, that, you know, there's going to be a, a millennial reign of Christ, you know, many, that there's going to be an Armageddon, there's going to be all these things spoken about in Revelations. Well, they, they have a meta-narrative as well. Okay. And so, um, in their meta-narrative, the Islamic meta-narrative, um, the entire world comes under one caliph. It becomes one global caliphate, which is what ISIS is trying to do today. Okay. They have Iraq, Assyria, Abu Bakr, al Baghdadi has set himself up as the caliph. And according to the Islamic meta-narrative, he will rule the world someday. Now, most Muslims will never speak about that, and they'll never even recognize it, but it's part of their teaching from day one. Okay, they just assume it's gonna happen. Yeah. They assume that, that there's a superiority to the Islamic faith, and that one day the entire world will be Muslim. Uh, and so there is a, a silent majority, just like there is a Christianity, but then there's this, this handful of people who are out there, who are one, there are some of those out there, they're just regular just missionaries, they just want to share the message. Then there's your violent extremists, mm-hmm. who basically uh, have a very proud and long history in Islam of the, uh, the, the subjugations of people, mm-hmm. but they come in and they, they say, do you want to become a Muslim? And you say, well, no. Okay, well, if you want to live here, you have to pay a thing called a jizya, a tax. And if you don't pay the tax, we're going to kill you. As are your only options. Mm-hmm. Take it or leave it. Okay? Uh, that is a very, very rich part of the, 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 the Islamic history. Okay? I'm not an Islamophobe, I don't, but I'm just telling you, that's part of their history. Yeah, that's part of it. And uh, they, uh, it's, it's generally understood by the Islamic world. Yeah, and I think, I think one, one point to make is that um, <laughs> I, uh, David is not um, someone speaking about Muslims or, or Islam from an outside perspective of never having been around any. Because <laughs> even here, you've been around some. I count many of them as close friends. Yeah, yeah. So you're speaking to something that you kind of have a pretty good in-depth understanding of. Yeah, I've been living amongst them for almost 30 years now. Okay, yeah. So <laughs> that's important to know and to uh, make a point of. Yeah. Um, as far as uh, sharing the gospel with a Muslim, or we're talking about Jesus, um, what are some areas that you can maybe even uh, speak into on how to do that in a healthy way? Right. Well, 
first of all, I think that uh, um, Christians have got to stop being afraid to stand uh, for truth uh, and for what, what Christianity teaches. And we can do that without being uh, confrontational. Uh, because, uh, you know, I, I, I simply, I, well, the way I, I share the, the gospel with Muslims is one is I get to know them first. And I get to know them at their humanness, not at their Muslimness. Okay. Who are they? What's their name? What's their family? You know, tell me about yourself and so on. Uh, and, you know, they, they come out of a, an Islamic uh, a culture that is a, a subculture of their ethnicity as well. So there's a couple layers that are going on there. Um, but I share the gospel with people who want to hear it. Okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I, uh, I'm, I'm quick to share my testimony about how God saved me and how uh, I was, uh, you know, I was lost. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things I always try to do is get them to say, well, you know, Islam and Christianity are just alike. I love it when they say that because I can say, you know what? You're absolutely right. We both have a problem with sin that has to somehow be satisfied. Yeah. How's that going for you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah because when yeah. they long for forgiveness. Yeah. There are people who understand sin. Yep. When you start talking to a German about sin, you got to convince them they're a sinner first. Not with a Muslim. With Muslims, they're very aware of their sinfulness. Mm-hmm. And they know... That, they're, that they are, may or may not get to heaven someday. Even, even in the very end of Abu Khari's hadith, his daughter asked him, how can I know that I'm going to go to heaven someday? Muhammad's response to his own daughter was, I don't even know if I'm going to heaven. Mm-hmm. That is a longing in Muslim's hearts. Mm-hmm. And so when I, get to, when, I, when I get to a place where they're beginning to really realize that they have a sin problem and I have a sin problem, and that there's no way I can satisfy God. There's no way that I can do enough. There's no way I can be good enough. There's no way I can do anything. Um, and that's why they have so many different types of ways. Like in Islam, if you blow yourself up and you kill a bunch of infidel Christians in a way, you're going to go to heaven automatically. Oh, yeah, and by the way, you get to take 25 family members with you. Yeah. I remember that's quite the incentive, yeah. you know. Um, that's about the only way. Actually, dying in the midst of jihad is actually taught in Islam. That's how you can know you're going to heaven. Wow. And so, a lot of the people that are doing this are deeply, deeply devoted Muslim followers. Mm-hmm. And, and, and let me just put this, I'll put something to rest for you, because I, I was at a conference in Paris last week and I was listening to one of the speakers talking about how he was kind of glad that, that second generation Muslims were starting to become more secular and less Islamified. Um, worst thing that can happen. Mm-hmm. Because you see, what I'm looking for, and what I think what the Holy Spirit's looking for, is people who are, are searching for something. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm involved with over 22 imams right now mm-hmm. who have come to faith in Christ, who are following hard after Christ all around the world. Why? Because they were searching. Mm-hmm. And in their searching, God revealed Himself to them. Yeah. And you see, when people stop searching, and it's it's much more difficult for the Lord to reveal Himself. And that is that is secularism. It is. They're, they're kind of content in being their own God or right. something. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. It goes back to, to Adam and Eve. Yeah. <laughs> working with um, uh, some of the guys you're working with, um, 
one of the, a few of them in particular like stick out to me as just being like people that you, like from the book of Acts. You're like you're, you're reading the book of Acts and you hear some of these guys' uh, testimonies, background, and you're uh, even even for me, there's an area of questioning of, of how do you know that these guys are legitimately like wanting to know Jesus, wanting to share the gospel. Um, I mean, obviously, there's a, a, in a way a discernment that the Holy Spirit gives. But um, what what are some for people who are afraid to work with former or yeah former Muslims? Like, what are some thoughts? Well, I think one of the things that I've learned is is that everything that I do is obedience based. Mm-hmm. At the end of every one of the lessons or the things that I'm teaching these guys is we sit down and we, we ask ourselves, what do we need to obey here in God's Word? Then the next time we get together, one of the first things I ask them is, did you obey? Mm-hmm. And uh, I really want to try to set a high bar for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, one is just because these are a lot of the guys that I'm working almost with really high capacity former Muslims now. Uh, people who were, you know, were in leadership positions and so on. So um, just to come and sit and listen to a message every week uh, is uh, is not really their cup of tea. Right. They really want to be challenged. Uh, I spend uh, between fifteen and twenty hours a week with one of the guys. The yeah. Disciple. And the reason I do, he can't get enough. Yeah. He can't get enough. Everything I ask him to do, he does, and he just wants more. Yeah. Uh, and uh, you know, he has you know himself has led hundreds and hundreds of Muslims of faith in Christ. Uh, and uh, so that's the most exciting thing that I have ever been involved with in ministry is to, is to be involved in the lives of people who can't get enough. Yeah. I mean, we, we read entire books of the Bible on some days together and walk through it chapter by chapter. Um, and so uh, that's been a, you know, just a really a fun thing. I mean, these guys would not be satisfied with meeting at Chick-fil-A on Thursday morning on <laughs> Sunday, you know? <laughs> Uh, and nothing wrong with that, but I don't think it's enough. Yeah, yeah. And I've come to see that disciple is really discipleship is more about parenting. Um, you know, when they when they poop their little pants, you got to clean their little bottoms. Mm-hmm. When they fall down and scrape their knee, you got to clean the wound up. You know, when they when they break the lamp, you got to you know you got to help them to understand. You know, I mean, it's it, it's really about spiritual parenting. And uh, what I've learned a lot with working these guys is I'm having to learn a lot more now about spiritual grandparenting. Because these guys are all leading people to faith in Christ and trying to understand my role now as their spiritual mentor. How do I spiritually grandparent, not just uh, you, know, you know them, but the, the actual people that they're working with? Right. Because I have a role to play in their lives as well. Mm-hmm. That's different mm-hmm. than the role I play in their lives. So it's been you know, so much fun just to watch God just do this and open up. And and uh, I think to also make a point that um, there are a lot of details we can't share, but there are some there are awesome things that God is doing that, um, you know, if we could share, we would, but some things that really the Holy Spirit, I, I feel like, just just did, that there was no explanation or, or no no church group involved, no, no structure in the way of, like, it was this missions organization came and did this, and then this happened. It was literally like the Holy Spirit did stuff. Yeah. Um, I don't know if there's anything you can share on that, like maybe like some of the dreams or. Well, almost all of them are having dreams. Okay. Yeah, I mean, uh, and uh, that's one of the first things that we do when we ask when we engage people. We not only ask them, "Do you have have you had a dream?" 
uh, one of the things we ask them is, do you know of anybody else who's had a dream? Mm-hmm. Because there have been times when I've talked to somebody and they said, uh, I say, hey, have you had a dream maybe of a, of a man uh, dressed in white coming to you in, at night? And uh, he'll say, no, uh, I haven't. But I have a friend named Ahmed who told me that he had a dream like that. Well, would you introduce me to Ahmed? Mm-hmm. And sure enough, Ahmed had a dream about Jesus showing him. You know, he said, yeah, he, Jesus came to me in this dream. And half the time they don't realize, like, like of the significance of their dream until they read the scripture. Right. And it's like, what the heck? Like, yeah. we, we saw that happen the other night at a, at a Bible study we were having in Hanau. And um, someone shared a dream. And then one of the guys that was there shared uh, from the Psalms. And, and it was like, that was exactly like my dream. So that's awesome. Some good stuff. Um, there's areas that I want to kind of get into. Number one being the area of, of the consumption of, of media, what the media is presenting to all of us that are just, you know, we're normal Americans. That Where we get our information is off of our, our iPads, our iPhones, the news. Um, you have some, some thoughts into navigating some of this stuff. Um, uh, maybe just share a little bit on that. And one of the thoughts of being a knowledge, what we talked about. Well, over the years, one of the things I've noticed is, is that uh, many of my Christian friends have a, a very, uh, I think, skewed understanding of uh, uh, Islamism, under uh, Islamic extremism, uh, extremist violence in the world. Um, and what I notice is that many of my friends would, would take one of two positions. One is they, they, some believe that you know all Muslims are terrorists. You know, there's a saying, well, maybe not all Muslims are terrorists, but it's not is it odd that all terrorists happen to be Muslim? Uh, that itself is not really, really true either. But there's there's this extreme right position of people are afraid of Muslims because they think they're, they're going to be terrorists somehow. Mm-hmm. Then there's another extreme where people say, you know, Muslims are just a peace. It's a religion of peace. They just want to come and they want to live in peace. And there's nothing about violence or something in Islam. Well, both of those positions are just really inaccurate. Okay. Uh, they, uh, uh, they're both extremist positions. And um, I think that it's, it's like painting, uh, you know, trying to paint one and a half billion people with one single paintbrush. Uh, or maybe with two paintbrushes. It, it's, you know, we don't want to be painted uh, in a corner. Uh, we don't want to be painted with the, the David Koresh paintbrush, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't want to be painted with the Bob Jones, or, you know, with that, that, that was a guy down in Jonesboro down in Africa years ago. Um, we don't want to be painted with extremist paintbrushes either. Mm-hmm. So that, it's not fair to them, and I want to recognize that. So, and I'm not saying that I think that there's a middle road. I think that there's another road that we as Christians need to take. Mm-hmm. Uh, one, we need to stop looking at mainstream media as if it's just fact. Mm-hmm. Um, and many of us do. You know, we hear it, we think, well, that's on the news, it must be true, because obviously they've edited. Well, you know, think about it for a second. News goes on 24 hours a day, seven days a week now. It's online, it's on, it's on television. They're not vetting their sources as well as they used to, okay? I mean, uh, Walter Cronkite is, 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 is not, not doing his job today, okay? Mm-hmm. And I think he would have a hard time keeping up with it because the world's moving very fast and they're reporting information 24 seven. 
So I, I began to be concerned uh, about this because I would hear more and more positions and people were making decisions about their lives, they were making political decisions, they were making family decisions, they were making business decisions based on purely what they get off of mainstream secular media. Right, right. Um, and so uh, as you begin looking at media, you begin to realize they have a very specific bent toward their worldview. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's a very secular humanistic worldview. It's not a, it's not a, it's certainly not an evangelical or mainstream, even mainstream evangelical kind of mindset. And we're talking about all of them. None of them are, are Christian. I, I, they're not. I mean, right. they're in business to make money and stuff. And, and I'm not trying to paint them as evil people. I'm just saying they do what they know how to do. Right. Okay. And, and most of the people in that business are coming at it from a, a secular, humanistic worldview that basically says there is no God. Each one of us, in many ways, are our own little gods. Truth is relative, um, and uh, we you know we can we we can be all that we can be without having to have God in our life. I'm just saying, when you begin to approach world events from that from that perspective, um, you're going to miss something. Yeah. And as I told you earlier, you know we have, we have a saying that knowledge is power. Mm-hmm. But what if our knowledge is corrupted? Mm-hmm. What does that make our power? Mm-hmm. I mean, if, if the knowledge that we're receiving on a day-to-day basis is heavily skewed into a secular, from a secular humanist agenda, then what's that going to do to the power that we want to exert as we make decisions? And so um, I started a bill company called More Than Meets the Eye. Mm-hmm. And it's a, uh, I'm producing a weekly publication that uh, addresses global violent extremism. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and I say global violent extremism rather than just Islamic extremism because what I'm discovering is there are other forms of violent extremism in the world today, one of it being in India with the Hindus. Right. And there's a really increasing Hindu violent extremism uh, that's brewing as well that I think is something that we ought to be concerned about. Um, so I want to address this. And so what I'm doing is I'm taking a look at the, 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 the violent extremist activities around the world every week. Um, and then I'm trying to do three things. I'm trying to sort of say, let's take an accurate look at it, okay? Um, and I, I'm able to do that because of, uh, of a lot of years of, of, uh, of analytical uh, sort of training from my military standpoint mm-hmm. in, in the field that I worked in. Um, and then secondly, what I want to do is I want to ask this question, why does this matter to you? I mean, why would this matter to you, somebody living in California? Mm-hmm. Why would this matter to somebody living in, you know, Podunk, Iowa? Um, and then what I want to do is I want to, uh, the third section of every week's um, digest, I address this question of, so what can we do as Christians? How do I need to respond to this? Um, and, and what can I do to not just be a victim, but to be somebody who actually is an overcomer in the midst of this? Yeah. So that people can see that the body of Christ is not being pressed down. It's not being just... Uh, victimized like everybody else, but that is actually uh, in a servant serving role, and it's 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 above this fray. And then I always provide some resources in there. Uh, everything that I put in there, I document. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's clickable links in there, so you can see where I get my information. I'm not saying that I'm without my biases. I have biases as well, but I'm happy to tell you what they are. Yeah, yeah, you're 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 upfront with them. <laughs> Um, and so uh, it, this is turning out to be a really important uh, part of our work. All, actually, all the prophets 
that we have uh, that come from more than meets the eye actually goes to provide vocational training for a lot of the uh, the men that we're discipling uh, who are actually turning out to be leaders of of churches and uh, church networks. Yeah. So all the money is going actually to provide for those guys to do that. Uh, it comes out every Wednesday, uh, and uh, we're actually getting ready to hit the. Uh, uh, our website will be uh, hitting the, uh, uh, the the web in the next couple of days. Okay. Um, so uh, anyway, it's it's an exciting sort of uh, uh, project that I'm working on right now that I'm I'm excited about. And, and Mondays has become my favorite day of the week. Yeah. And then, and then your your daily uh, let's say media consumption as far as news and world news and um, you're reading are you reading only one publication in one language? No, I, I actually I actually consume between thirty and fifty different uh, publications <laughs> every week. Every week, uh, and I'll read them in Russian, I'll read them in German, I'll read them in Uzbek and in Turkish, uh, and uh, I'm not really very good at Arabic, and so I have a friend of mine who scours the Arabic news as well, mm-hmm. uh, who's looking you know pretty heavily in that for me, as well as in the Farsi newspapers going on in Iran. So I'm trying to provide, um, as like I told uh, someone here recently, if I'm telling you something you already know, then I'm making a mistake. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, I want to tell my readers something that they don't already know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, and then how to actually take a look at that and, and make sense out of it. And even, I think, uh, kind of bring an action of prayer, like a direction for people can really aim prayer strategically in the way of, of saying, like, we need to pray for this part of the world for either... Uh, People to rise up and share the gospel, or, or people to go. I regularly provide resources in there, uh, places where they can go and, and find those kind of prayer requests. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's even a, there's a really interesting website called adoptaterrorist.org. Wow! And so uh, I highlighted that a couple of weeks ago, just to where you can actually get profiles of terrorists and. And you can actually know how to pray for these guys. Wow, that is. <laughs> if we believe that prayer works, then why not? Yeah, amen. That's good. Yeah, uh, that way. the the interesting stories that I've heard from collectively from just all the guys I've been talking to, and um, I, I would I don't. Do you have any that you could possibly share where you were just like, man, that was a powerful thing that happened? Oh, let me think, because these things happen quite frequently now. Um, <laughs> And uh, I, I, I just, I tell you, maybe one of my favorite, I'll just go with a really recent story, okay? Okay. Uh, a few of us uh, uh, guys went up to uh, a town about two hours north of uh, Frankfurt the other, the other day. Uh, and went up there and had heard there were some people up there that were interested in coming to faith in Christ. Uh, went up there, had a chance to share the gospel with them, and uh, they uh, um, uh, spent about four or five hours with them. Coming back, when um, we decided that we were going to start a church up there in the whole town. And uh, as we were uh, uh, coming back, it was about 11.30 at night, uh, just decided that uh, you know, they were hungry. And uh, thinking, oh, we'll just wait till we get back to Frankfurt. And uh, we thought, no, it's this, you know. One of the guys said, no, I, I just, my phone is shows a little kebab shop over here. Let's go over there. So we stopped in this kebab shop. And... Uh, as they went into this little kebab shop, they went in to order a, a donut kebab. And uh, while they were sitting there, two young guys walked in. Uh, and uh, one of them was wearing a cross. And they were obviously from some sort of Middle Eastern uh, uh, ethnicity. Um, so one of the guys walked over and says, hey, I notice you're wearing a cross there. You know, you, you're Christian. And he said, yeah. He said, we're, 
how long have you been a Christian? He says, well, a few months ago, uh, uh, I was in Frankfurt and somebody shared uh, the good news with me and, and I started to call it Father Christ, uh, Jesus, but, um, but I had nobody to teach me here. I'm in a small village and wow. you know, there's nobody here to teach us. And, and, uh, and uh, uh, Wernberg, I said, well, we can, teach you. we can teach you right now. As a matter of fact, we can actually start a church right here in the village. Are there any others? He goes, well, there's five or six others you know, in, our, in this little village as well. Um, and so that evening, we were able to plant the seeds of a new church that uh, has uh, it's been planted. Yeah. Uh, just through driving and listening to the Holy Spirit say, go there and get a donor. You know, yeah. At 1130 at night. Uh, and these type of things are happening more frequently that are just too uh, coincidental to be coincidental. Right, right. And we're just seeing that God's given us divine appointments in ways that uh, we've never had before. And that's... Uh, that's why what we've tried to do is, is by creating this new uh, strategy called Church on the Road, is uh, rather than just staying right in Frankfurt and expecting anybody to come to us, uh, we've become quite mobile. Uh, and we're visiting uh, villages and, and people out who know others. Because the government's moving people all over. So right. they come to Christ and all of a sudden they're in some small village out in the nowhere and have nobody to train them, nobody to encourage them, nobody to help them to worship them. And so we're uh, we're sending a church on the road uh, and visiting all these places and starting the church of the Lord. And these are um, in the, in the German context, it's a very structured church. These are more like uh, home church. Home church, yeah. And and for me, I think I think that's awesome. Um, if if someone's listening to this and and they're saying, how do we in any way give prayer or uh, um, send help? What would you suggest to say, like, this is how, if, if somebody's listening to this and they say, man, we want to get involved somehow, what would you say? Well, I think certainly, uh, you know, we want people to pray. I mean, uh, I'm afraid in Christianity, this almost becomes sort of a trite expression. You don't know what else to do. But uh, for us, it's at the center of what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, is that we, in fact, even our, our church in the road team has a prayer tent that when we send the team out, and the first thing they do is, is they actually put up a tent on their site that has that has a little uh, has carpets and stuff in there, and it's just for for prayer. For praying, it's it's at the center of what's got to happen. Is that prayer is going to become the best thing we do, not the last thing that we do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, you know, you know, we can do that, and you know, we through you know through you, you they can contact us, and we can provide a way that they can actually you know have uh, you know be part of the prayer network because mm-hmm. we have a. A pretty active prayer network of people around the world uh, now who are joining us with, in a specific way of, of praying. Um, and then, you know, I think probably also one of the big things is that we're just trying to really help uh, create jobs. Uh, and, uh, you know, we're, we're in the middle of running a space right now to have a workshop to train people how to make soap. We're making organic soaps. Nice. Um, we're teaching uh, young guys who don't have educations how to shine shoes. We're sending them out as shoe shiners on the streets. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, for our more educated guys, we're actually setting up a, a computer programming training program. Okay. And we're actually teaching them how to actually do computer programming uh, and then helping them to find jobs you know, to do computer programming. So uh, those, are, those are ways that people can be involved that even, even know how to do any of those type of things as well. We would love to to have people uh, you know, come along and uh, participate with us in that. And so we can kind of easily identify that one of the main goals is to empower these guys 
and to help them, uh, to basically disciple them, mentor them, so that they could in turn lead. Right. And we, it, it's a pretty intensive process because um, uh, many of them are going to be sent home. Mm-hmm. And so we train every disciple how to be a church starter. And when we say home, we mean back, back to, to their, their home country. countries where some of it is even, uh, uh, there's underground churches, there's, it's not permissible right. to worship like here. And so there's, you know, there's no, uh, you know, uh, you know, church building on, you know, the street corner. And right. so if they're going to be part of a church, they're going to start one. Mm-hmm. And so we're teaching everybody how to do that. Yeah. Awesome. Well, in closing, what can we pray for you for? Um, is there any, any areas that you would say, hey man, just pray for this, for us, for the next year, two years. We want to, you know, something for you. Yeah, I think that the Lord is expanding our reach out beyond Germany. Uh, and so uh, as we expand into, uh, into France uh, and into Spain, uh, into Italy, uh, into Holland, uh, into Belgium, uh, into Denmark, um, and uh, even up into Norway, Sweden, and Finland, uh, we're, we're finding that uh, God is just giving us more and more opportunities all, all around those areas. Um, yeah, just pray that we'll really hear God speak on that uh, and that um, he'll raise up laborers. You know, uh, that's one thing in you know, Luke 10, too, we can always do is just pray that the Lord will raise up laborers. Mm-hmm. Uh, we really believe that the, that the primary resources are, are in the harvest. Uh, and that's what, what we want to do. So we're, we're looking for people to kind of work alongside us. But more than that, we're really looking for uh, laborers to come out of the harvest. Mm-hmm. And we really just catch a vision for carrying the gospel to their own people. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so yeah, that would be the probably the best thing is to stay. You just pray that God would continue just to raise up a laborers from from within that harvest. Okay. All right. Thank you, David, for uh, being on this podcast. And uh, maybe if you want to just say hi to anybody really fast. Or <laughs> no, you're good. Okay. Thanks. I appreciate it. Okay. Thank you for this. Thank you for listening. Please like, share, and subscribe.